radio for the Agile community. www.agile.fm Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Agile FM. Today I'm here with Chris Smith, who is the head of product delivery at Redgate. And um, we have him actually explain a little bit what Redgate does, but he's also uh, posting uh, information about the topic we're talking about here today on leadingagileteams.com. Our topic today is kind of a companion kind of podcast with something we have done just recently with Heidi Halfand about uh, dynamic reteaming. So this is the practical implementation on reteaming, dynamic reteaming on the team at Redgate. Welcome to the podcast, Chris. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Thank you very much for having me on. That's awesome. Thanks. Thank you for taking some time and spending some time with the listeners to talk about dynamic reteaming. We could say one more time, but last time I spoke with Heidi about uh, the book and some 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 uh, stuff that is important for people that are that are implementing this. But you're the person that actually implemented that at your company, Redgate. Redgate. Yeah, that's right. So so um, Heidi talked about continuum of freedom for reteaming so where maybe at one end managers organize teams and tell people where they're going to go and then at the other end everyone has gets to choose where they work and uh, we're moving closer to that second stage where we give people much more influence over where they work and which teams they're part of and we do that every year right can you just give listeners maybe who are not familiar with Redgate? A little overview, just on a very high level. What is this company? What's the background? What's the size, geographical distribution, etc.? Yeah, sure. So, so Redgate are a, are a small, medium-sized uh, software company, and we are based in Cambridge. Our development hub is in Cambridge in the UK, but we have sales offices around the world. And we create software for database professionals. Mm-hmm. So that's database administrators, database developers. And our tools... Um, help them do their really important jobs of mm-hmm. creating, maintaining, and operating the databases that you know support all our systems, corporate and consumer. There's a database in there somewhere, and our tools help the people that make those and look after them. Um, in the last in the last five years, we've been really focused on helping uh, those database professionals bring the database into an agile and DevOps environment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, agile delivery of application code has been around for years and years. Isn't but often the database gets left behind. It's it's scary to change it. It's scary to integrate it in like an, an agile continuous delivery process. So it gets a kind of a waterfall back backdoor process that gets the changes out. And we want to bring that in there and get the database delivered agilely alongside application code. So that's been our part of our mission for the last five years. And and uh, and yeah, we've got a whole range of, uh, of database products that we really hope will, will help help people develop databases uh, in a really agile way. Yeah, that's actually a very good point. It's like, uh, based on my experience working with teams, with agile teams, right, that is that is often a, a, a bottleneck if they are, you know, with um, database administration, right, schema changes, et cetera, right? Um, so um, that's interesting to have like a product. So this is interesting for this podcast, right, because we're dealing with a product that solves a, uh, or tackles a, a problem in the agile community, but also Redgate itself is embracing agility and uh, obviously embraces some things that are about uh, dynamic reteaming, right? And that's our topic here for today. So uh, tell me a little bit about how you came across this. Obviously, there is a, is a book out there we, I, I spoke with Heidi about, but this is really about you taking some of those ideas into your organization. Now, 
how can how many times did you do reteaming and, and how did you start with this so reteaming is something that's, that's always happened right always happened at every company i've been at and where you know people join teams people leave teams teams split teams have to end and that's utter reteaming that's the creation of of, of new teams and um but what we've been doing for the last three years is deliberately reteaming all of our teams or making an opportunity for everyone for reteam um, off the back of our strategy review process. Mm -hmm. So for the last three years, we've asked everybody in our product development teams where they'd like to work in the coming year. Would they like to stick in the team they're in at the moment? Or mm -hmm. would they like to go and do something interesting they can see across the range of teams that we have? We have 11 software development teams at the moment. They're all covering different kinds of products at different stages of their life cycle, mm -hmm. which means very different work. You know, if you're in, a, if you're working on a product that is very early stage, you may be creating, um, iterating quickly, creating code that might not be super maintainable in the long term. But you're trying to learn. Mm -hmm. The whole point there is to learn fast, and you might find actually that you you stop doing the work you're doing because that product hasn't found its market, and you go and do something else. So it's, it can be quite ephemeral. Mm -hmm. And then you've got other products that are really well established. We want to grow and scale their addressable market, and they have a different kind of work. They're about maintainability and scalability and new features. And that works very different. So um, we reteam to let people choose which of those kind of work they'd like to um, invest their work life in for the right. next 12 years and beyond. So we've done that for three years now and it's gone, it's gone surprisingly well. It's gone, it's gone really well. Um, and people have been really happy with it from both the kind of team members that are involved in it and the governance, the, the leadership of the organization. Right. So you have some metric points out there. So first of all, if you're doing this three times, right, it tells me that it's kind of a success because you would have stopped after one. <laughs> but so you have success, right? And uh, it's going very well. But um, you have some data points behind this too, right? So I don't know if you know them from the top of your head, but there is some high percentage on, 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 on satisfaction with this process among the employees, if not so much you, but the employees that are impacted by this. Can you share any it doesn't have to be exact, right? So, but if you have anything that is um, like somewhere in the in the criteria where you would say we're like in an in a roughly high, I think I saw something on a blog post of north of eighty percent of uh, satisfaction with the team that have picked. I think it was even higher than that. It was like in the ninety two. Yeah. So, in, in terms of what happened, certainly um, the first time we did it, so we we asked people, um, we made it very clear what was out there, what 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 possible pieces of work, what possible teams were out there, what their mission would be, what they were trying to achieve, what their impacts were we were going to have. Mm -hmm. And so they had all these choices about where they might want to work. And we asked them for their preferences. So uh, what was your first preference? Where, where, where would you like to ideally go? What was your second preference? What was your third preference? Why was that? Why were you saying this was your first preference? Was it because of tech? Was it because of the life cycle? And, and that was a big leap of faith. Like, well, we'll ask these people, Will that create an organization that's effective? Is that fit for purpose for what mm. we're trying to achieve? Like mm. it felt like it could have gone really south. We could have had everyone wants to be on the same team. But instead, we did get this spread of preferences and interest. Mm -hmm. So we were able to allow, I think it was around 85% of people got their first preference. 80% of people got their first preference in that first year. Yeah. So we were able to meet their first preference where they wanted to work. And then I think it was. 95% or something that got one of their preferences. And the last few we had to fit in. Right. Um, 
uh, with a, an option that kind of fitted their personal development, but wasn't an option they necessarily chose. So in the end, we got a very high level of satisfaction from our team members that they'd gone to somewhere that really spoke to them. Um, so we ran that again the, the, the following year, again, very similar numbers. And in this last year, which we did entirely remotely, um, we had 83% of our engineers uh, were in the team that was their first preference again, and 98% again were in their, their first, second or third preference. And in the end, we moved 37% of our team members, wow. which seems a lot, right? Yeah. But it's been absolutely fine. And in the previous two years, again, a third of people moved. So this is what I'm saying. We're not, we're not, we're not completely taking all the teams apart and, and putting everyone in a different team. We're right. allowing people the freedom to move right. and the freedom to give a strong influence of where they spend their working lives. Mm-hmm. And not all of them want to move, but, but a decent number do. And that is entirely supportable. We can cope with that absolutely right. fine yeah. for the last three years. It's awesome. 98% uh, ended up with one, two, or three third option, yeah. right? It's in a very high number considering, you know, a, a delivery, a head of delivery like, like you would be assigning this. You would have probably, I would assume, a lower percentage if you would uh, assign people to teams and they might not like them the way they actually chose. I honestly, when, I, when the first time we did this, I did not know what to expect. It was, a, as you mentioned, Heidi. I mean, Heidi was a, was a, was a big influence on, on this, but I think, you know, we, we'd, called out, we'd called out at Redgate that we believed that the best way to make software is empowering teams with clear purpose, freedom to act, and a drive to learn. We tried to make that a principle, and we choose what we do behind that principle. And um, but yet we'd have reteamed in the old-fashioned way of, like, managers in a room deciding. And then Heidi kind of, I actually saw Heidi at a couple of conferences talk about her subject dynamic routining. Mm. It was like, hang on a minute. We're talking about giving people purpose and freedom to act. And I'm telling them what team to go in. What am I doing? And it was that kind of um, push that said, don't be a hypocrite. If you say that you want to give people autonomy and purpose and mastery, ask them where they want to work. Right. Give them that, that opportunity to have a say. It was obvious once I'd seen that. Yeah. And but the first time I, I didn't know what was going to happen, I, I thought. I hoped it would it would be a I, I suspected that quite a lot of people would like to move, but not yeah. everyone would. Some people like the stability. It's the point in their career or the point in their yeah. life or they're really engaged in their mission and right. they don't want to move. Thank you very much. But other people are looking for that opportunity. That's right. And um, by making it deliberate and making a date in the calendar where we will talk about this, mm. it has freed, I think, a number of people up to move that wouldn't have wouldn't have otherwise tried something different. Um, and also given them that opportunity to, to self-select onto a new purpose, to self-select yeah. a new mission, and to feel like a sense of ownership of, of what they do in their career. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it was first time was a leap of faith, but following that, I don't think we'd ever go a different way now because mm-hmm. it, it works. Yeah. It's a, you know, like a nerve wracking moment, right? If you're doing this the very first time and you're like, I have no idea how this very big event with so many people is going to go and, uh, you know, and it's a big relief on the other side and, and prove that these things work uh, yeah. once you go through it. Yeah, I, I think um, there was definitely the fear before, the fears I had before I did it. And maybe that reflects with, with folks at, at home that might have the same fears. If we ask people where they want to work, they're all going to choose the same exciting team. Mm-hmm. They're all going to choose where there's the new tech, where there's, you know, Kubernetes and everything else that, that's, that's, that's whizzy and exciting. Or they're all going to leave a team that is maybe more 
uh, maybe more about maintainability or, or looking after a large uh, successful product, but maybe doesn't doesn't need a lot, a lot more features. It's kind yeah. of done, but it needs to be looked after. We're going right. to see all these people move away from the crown jewels and the most important from the most important tools to the business. Why? Um, and ultimately, as a delivery manager, I'm going to get fired You're because right. all my people are going to be. <laughs> um, so that fear was definitely something we had to get over, um, and and just to sort of step into it. But I think we also thought about the fear that might be on the case of the people involved in the process. Mm. So, you know, people don't love change in general. That's right. And so if you're in a team that you're feeling secure and you're feeling accepted, to, to actually leave is a, is a big deal. Mm. And it can cause a certain amount of anxiety Absolutely. to step away from that, that comfort area and go and do something else. Yeah. So with the process at Redgate, we tried to think quite deliberately about how we can make it um, reteaming without the anxiety, both mm. for, for, for leadership in terms of, oh my gosh, we're not del delivering the things we need to, to the people involved is I've got to change teams. That is frightening. Mm -hmm. And so our process isn't just, you know, we go along to a um, one big session for two hours mm. and by the end of it, we decided what team we're on. We well, take a bit more of an expanded approach where we will make it very clear what options are available in the teams then we will let people explore them in their own time, kind of asynchronously now with, with remote working. And then we will coach everyone individually. We have coaching sessions with everybody to say, what have you seen? What are you interested in? Why are you interested in that? Let me understand your preferences. Mm -hmm. And then there is a process where a set of folks, a set of leadership folks get together and look at those preferences that people have and look at the kind of organizational structure and the investments we need in different products. And can we make those work? And sometimes we'll have to ask people to, can they go for their second preference and not their first, because that's really going to help us unlock this? Right. Or can they move in a couple of months when we've been able to disseminate the knowledge that's in your head into the rest of the team? Mm -hmm. And because people are involved in this change, because it's a change with them and not to them, right. they've been really open about those things. Oh, yeah, I'll go to my second choice. Happy days. I mean, I understand why that works. Right. Or I will delay for three months. No problem, because I can see that my I'm needed in this team before I move. Once you include those folks in this reorg, some yeah. you might call it, then it, it becomes a, a much more um, uh, collective experience and a much more, kind of a, a, a less anxious process. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting, right? Because you might, let's say I have a, a project one, then two and three as listed on my, my preferences, right? And uh, I might get assigned let's say by you by by you as a department head without dynamic re-teaming to let's say option three and for me as a person being assigned to that team i might have a negative association to it because i was assigned to it but if i self-select and i pick three all of a sudden it's like i picked that i picked this team it was just my third option but i'm i made this choice so sometimes uh you know human behavior might also um you know, deep down psychology here right it's just like uh, versus somebody told me to be here or I made the choice to be here. And even though it's the third option, I might still like it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I'm, have you read the book, uh, The Chimp Paradox? No. Um, which is by a, a chap called Professor uh, Steve Peters. And he talks about, he, he introduces a model that helps you understand how the brain works. I mean, it's, it's very abstract, but it kind of mm -hmm. helps me understand it. And that kind of, you know, it talks about your kind of inner, inner, inner chimp, the kind of, the thing that's that's kind of captured in your amygdala which is very it's very it reacts it's very emotional and 
effectively your team doesn't like being told what to do. Right. So by a manager telling you that you need to go in team one, you will quite naturally, quite physically have a, re- a reaction to that. Right. It's normal for you to yeah. think, well, I don't, why are you telling me to do this? I should have a say in this. I, I need to have some self-determination. Uh, That's right. And you, you, you're right. Like some people could actually choose that team, that project one yeah. themselves because they've got the choice. And, and their, their experience of that will be totally different from, mm-hmm. from being told to go in it That's because right. they're included and we cared about what they thought. And we looked after their, their psychology and their inner chimp. Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing that's happened that I've noticed having done this for three years, that it's completely normal, I think, for for people to uh, look for someone to blame if there's a difficult time mm-hmm. on, a, on a project. Like it's on a project, it's getting really gnarly. There's something very difficult to do here. That we've got some real hard things we've got to do. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of normal to say, well, they've done this to us. You know, th- we've been put in this situation. I've, I've been put in this. I'm a victim. I've been put in this situation and mm-hmm. it's really hard. Whereas you, we've chosen now to be in these teams. We've seen what's coming and the gnarly work that's coming and we self-selected onto that and we're going to give it a crack and, and we're going to do our best here. Mm-hmm. So there's much more kind of, as you say, sort of uh, they understand why they're here and they have chosen it. So they, they're going to crack on with it. Right. Um, there's much less us versus them now that I see yes. around uh, team mission and the kind of the difficult stuff that teams have to take on. Mm-hmm. I have a question like, You've been with Rightgate prior to the time when you started reteaming, right? And uh, so at one point there was this moment where you said, I'm going to try this. Obviously, there could have been any kind of impulse where you said, you know, I I need to do something like, I need to experiment with something and it led to to this process. But what was the time before reteaming? What were the, the challenges you were trying to solve? What was uh, Redgate prior to reteaming? And just to, to compare now, like what was the business reason or the need to actually say, we want to try something, right? And then the path took you to that approach, which we now call dynamic reteaming. But just like curious to hear, like what was the trigger? So if somebody is out there and says, well, you know, what was the problem that we're trying to solve? Well, there was, so was that piece where, yeah, we were talking about these principles for organization and not living them by mm. doing things in a different way. So there's that part which was right. which was important, but I, I, I take your point. It wasn't, it wasn't like the, the pure business driver. I think we wanted to make a big change. We wanted to restructure in a way where, uh, as I said, we were clearer about what our product teams were for. So where they were in sort of Kemp Beck's uh, 3X model, Mm-hmm. Were they uh, exploring? Were they um, expanding? Were they sustaining? Mm-hmm. And the work was very different. We wanted to be very clear on that. And then when we were clear on it and said, product X, you are in, you're an exploring product. You looked at the folks in that team and you knew that wasn't the kind of work they wanted to do, some of those folks. They, they wanted to do some of the other work. They wanted to do some of the, the scalability and the performance work that is in an expand or sustain product. So you could see people were within the wrong place Right. Once we'd been clear about what the products were trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. And so there was a problem there. How do we get them in the right place while not destroying everyone's morale and having this big, crazy reel where people right. tell everyone else what to do? So there was that. But also, I think we were seeing real silos in the organization. Mm-hmm. So Redgate for a long time has been a product company. We've got product teams, uh, literally. Um, yeah. And we, we built up teams to be autonomous and self-sufficient as much as possible. And when they do that, they stop talking to each other mm-hmm. uh, completely naturally. They solve their own problems. And a team that just sits next to them, literally next to them, yeah. 
you know, when we were allowed in the office, um, they, they wouldn't necessarily share what they were doing. And we yeah. end up with components that did the same thing across product. Mm. So we saw these these silos, and we also saw, I mean, I, I used to totally believe in like the the kind of um, stable team that stays together forever, and that's the best kind of team. And this has challenged my thinking because what you see there is not only those silos, but also people that become the expert in a thing and never leave, right. and they never can leave because all the knowledge is in their brain. Yeah, and all the knowledge around the teams becomes tacit; it becomes part of the the group think of the team, mm. not explicit. So it's not written down anywhere because the silo know all these things. So we were, we were having a less agile organization as a result of that siloing and that ossification. But when it said, right, it's time to create a new team on product X, we weren't used to changing teams. We weren't mm. used to people leaving and we didn't capture the knowledge in a way that could be shared easily when mm. new people joined. So we needed to get good at reteaming, which is kind of the, 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 right. the central, one of the central premises of Heidi Helfand's book. Um, so with reteaming now, I think what we've seen is breaking down of some of those silos. If you yeah. think about it, in the last three years, each time about a third of people have moved. You think about that dissemination of skills and, and, and relationships across mm-hmm. our organization, that it's easier for me now to go and talk to Team X because I know Jeff, because Jeff right. used to work with me last year, but we reteamed and now we're in different teams, but I have that connection now. So right. breaking down some of those silos. I'm, I'm, I'm building up a kind of an organizational network yeah. that, that quite naturally was going away because of these strong silos. Mm. So, so innovation, innovation is, is therefore also like a, there's a foundation for innovation, right? Because I might walk over to another person. I, you know, uh, in, in your example, I think Jeff, right? I would walk over and have a conversation with that person. It's like, hey, you know what? I remember you from the last year's uh, team we worked on together and you mentioned XYC and I'm now seeing this and there might be a big thing for us as a company. So as a platform for innovation. Yeah, we also had um, probably an issue with allowing people to progress their personal development, their learning and development goals. So not everyone, especially engineers, that they don't want to be a, the manager or the team lead or the, or the whatever next. They want to widen their skill set. They want to learn new technologies. They right. want to get more experience in different areas. Yeah. And you can do that by changing teams by yeah. saying, OK, well, I'm on a, you know, some of our teams, are, uh, some of our products are plugins to Microsoft IDEs, mm-hmm. but I want to work on a web tool. So actually, I need to widen my, my web skills and I can do that by moving yeah. teams. That is that is that is my personal growth. That's my personal development. I, I feel like I'm learning. I'm happy when I'm doing that. And we, mm-hmm. we, we needed to enable those because we weren't doing it within the teams. Right. Ourselves. So you have these uh, these events, and the last event was a remote event, right? Um, so the first two were in person. The third one is uh, remote. What's what's your takeaway from a remote uh, event and reteaming? Obviously, you might have gone into the same, like in the first one, you had fear about, is this going to work? Maybe another moment of fear where you're like, is this going to work in a remote way? Yeah, it, it, went, it went really well. And um, I think... I was confident as we went into it because our, our organization, the same as many organizations that have been forced to forced to work more remotely is to have people away from the office and working from home from, from distributed uh, workplaces is we've, we've picked up tools and we've learned techniques over that nine months mm-hmm. um, of doing that that have helped us understand. Like we've learned how to collaborate remotely. We're using tools, visualization tools like Mural and Miro. Yeah, things like that. Right. Um, using um, 
virtual meeting spaces so we can have big collaborative sessions. Mm -hmm. We've learned, and with those tools, we're going into it, I was quite confident, but actually, if you'd have asked me a year ago, before yeah. we got good at remote working, I would have told you it couldn't happen. It's impossible. Yeah. It's, it's too connected. It's, 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 a, it's a kind of a, it's an experiential event. You've got to get yeah. everyone in a big room <laughs> and they all like spark off each other. But actually it was, it was probably better wow. remotely. I think a couple of the reasons were, if you put everyone in a big room and they talk at the same time, you can't hear anything. Yeah. <laughs> so our virtual space, um, mm. using a tool called Spatial Chat, uh, meant that you could actually move around a room and hear specific people and, and, right. and do everything else out. We could look, actually share um, some of the collateral to explain to team members what their teams, what the different teams would be doing next year. We could share that up front and people could consume that asynchronously in their own time. They could really deep dive into what we called team charters, which were painting the picture of what a team would be like in the coming year. They could really invest in those. And, um, and also as as leaders trying to visualize all these preferences and work out if they fitted a tool that online that captured how yeah. things were progressing and you didn't have to write up the notes from the meeting because it was there in the tool. Right. And, and, and we, we used to go into a meeting room and we used to stick post-it notes on a wall to help move people around. Oh, you know, Jess is going to go to that team. Pete's yeah. going to go over there and Julie's going to go over here. But the post-it notes would just fall off the wall. And then you'd be like, oh, what was the team? <laughs> like, I, I, the team is, I, I've got to put the team back together because the adhesive mm -hmm. isn't good enough against these walls. Right. So <laughs> there was none of that kind of like logistics problems in, in, in fitting the jigsaw puzzle together because the remote tools were so good for helping that. So, yeah, I, I actually think when we get back to a hybrid world, probably at Redgate, where we have people in the office and back out the office, mm -hmm. we will probably go home, all of us, to do this process remotely on purpose because <laughs> it worked that well yeah um, and use the kind of time in the office as social time as collaborative time as kind right. of connection time and, and this can be a process that actually happens remotely right and you can even prepare the remote rooms right sometimes you walk into a, a meeting room <laughs> and you have to prepare the room right here i can actually prepare everything and you go in that might be a good time saver too Absolutely. I forgot that about working in an office where you, you, you go into a room like one minute before it starts and yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a, just a garbage dump and there's right. things everywhere and the, and right. the wall isn't being cleaned down. Right. And then when you're finished at the end and there's only a minute left of the meeting and you've got all this stuff on the walls and the next person's waiting to come in, you've got to take right. everything off the wall before you escape. Right. Like, I've forgotten and that's what happened, but that's, that, that, that's gone now when, we, yeah. when we're doing these things remotely definitely has changed. You just mentioned something um, uh, in your last comment about the team charter. And I want to explore this a little bit because uh, if somebody listens to this right now and we're talking about dynamic reteaming and uh, somebody's choosing team A over B or preferences, et cetera, you're not just going to make this out of the blue. You're not just going to be, this is not like personal favorites. I want to work with a specific person or something like that, or I like this person. There is a there is something that guides people in their decision-making, right? And that is the team charter, if, I, if I'm if i not mistaken, right? Can you just give listeners a little bit of an overview? So it's not like there is something behind it which allows people to really self-select uh, the teams. Exactly. We, we have to give people the full context, mm -hmm. the full idea of what it will be like in these teams. It's a big deal to swap teams sometimes, and they need to know what they're stepping into. They need to be able to visualize what life will be like in that team, mm -hmm. I think. Um, so the team charter, which is just a lightweight canvas filled in by the leadership roles around the team who are in place before other folks are in place. They're there to shape what that team will look like before we get people involved in, in joining as uh, developers and designers. Mm -hmm. um, it calls out 
the mission. So as I said before, Regat is saying, we need to give you clear purpose. So that mm. needs to be there. Why, why is this team here? What's yeah. the impact this is going to have for Redgate? Like, what are you doing? And so we're going to call that out. We're mm. going to say, what does this team own? What's the scope of your work? Do you own this product or these two products or this part of this larger product? What's What don't you own? Mm-hmm. So people understand, again, what, what kind of thing they'll be doing. And also, you know, by then we should know what the product strategy is. Mm-hmm. How are we going to be trying to make these metrics move? Mm-hmm. We're going to be trying to do some competitive um, features or we're going to be... Uh, moving into a new database um, technology. Mm-hmm. What, what is what is going to be the strategy behind this work? And we also talk about what's life going to be like day to day in that team. So is this a team that really likes mobbing? A couple of our teams do a lot of mobbing, even mm-hmm. remotely, mm-hmm. really heavy on pairing. It's worth knowing that before you go. You don't want to arrive at that team being right. someone that's that doesn't really enjoy mobbing so much, and that's all they do every day. Like mm-hmm. You need to know what, because there is some variety in, in practices and, and techniques across our teams. So we Absolutely. need to talked about those and also we talk about and this is an important part of it as well the constraints so for this team to be functional and able to do the job it's there for we need these things Mm. so we'll need some people with experience of this product before we have to have people that know how these products work we need people that have this product this skill with this with this technology react c sharp we'll need these skills Mm. um and we'll need a mix of experience perhaps on uh, senior to junior we can take a few people that we need to mentor but we really have to have a strong senior in there mm-hmm. so we we encourage leaders to be very clear about what they think they need in their team mm-hmm. and for that to be open to everyone so they can see oh i can see how i fit in there yes i'm a junior but they're okay with a junior so I, I, that, that could really be a good fit for me and they do mobbing which is a great way for me to learn that's a team i'd like to go to i'm not so bothered maybe about the higher purpose right now for me in my career it's best yeah. that i can learn can learn yeah. from an experienced person so that's the team i might want to go to so it's, it's quite a multifaceted view on on what the team will be like mm. but in a, in a lightweight canvas it's not a lot of words it's 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 a canvas that um that people can fill in and, and, and absorb quite quickly i think mm. i mean this is uh it's fascinating and i think this is important right because people need to have the foundation for a decision right it's like it's like, what is, what is my skill level? Where do I want to go? Maybe there's a bridge between my current skill set and that future skill set. And there are also a ton of people, if not the majority of people who like to learn, right? They want to learn some new skills, especially around technology. I mean, you want to just see something else or you want to explore a different product or, you know, what team you want to be associated with. But you mentioned uh, you had these three events um, and they were annual events. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, what if I picked the wrong team and made the wrong, let's say I picked number one team and I got one, my first preference and I got it and I'm happy and I get started. And then I realize I'm, I'm not liking it. Uh, it's not my thing. Is there, is there an opt out somehow, or is that a static process for a year that I'm locked in into a team? How would that work that as somebody like, because it's dynamic, right? How do I possibly shift between teams even after a reteaming event? How does that look like at Redgate? Yeah, it, it looks um, like people sharing their experience with their line managers and then it's, it's people moving. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this process has allowed us to get good at reteaming, has allowed us to build up the kind of ex- explicit knowledge, the, the team building um, activities that we know how to run, just an acceptance that people will move teams. Right. We're not so surprised when a stable team has to change because right. they always change. Yeah. So we're, it's not a like 
we'll do we'll change once a year and then you're locked in next year because that was expecting it yes but i think i think an interesting point is is we always were like that reggae we always said if you didn't like where you were and you wanted to move you mm-hmm. can ask to move mm-hmm. that's fine like everything that i've been at reggae nearly 10 years it was always the case but nobody ever asked to move yeah it wasn't right. the thing that you did yeah. But now it is because every year we said, look, it's totally fair to move. You're not criticizing your teammates. You're not saying you don't like your team leader. You're just saying you need to move for your career or your personal development or because you need a change. Mm-hmm. That's fine. So it's it's now a normal thing. Mm-hmm. So I think it's much more like that people say, actually, I want to move mid-year and providing we can, because clearly we want investment in certain teams and we don't mm-hmm. want to leave teams underinvested so they're quite fragile. We need a certain size of team for it to be right. good for purpose. Providing we can do that, we, we will move people. And we have moved people in media yeah. if that's what they would like. And again, people are very open to saying, well, we need to we need to hire somebody to, to take your spot. So it might be a couple of months. It's like, fine. As long as I know you've yeah. heard me and you're going to, I'm going to go over there, this is fine. I, I, it's not a problem. I will, I'll keep in, um, in this team until, until we're ready. Awesome, yeah. Um, would you would you recommend uh, anybody listening out there to go with that flow of yearly annual events, or do you see any need for possibly shorter reteaming kind of experiences every six months or so? What is the the pros and cons, and why did you guys settle for a year? So for us, it's it's yearly because we had previously an annual strategy review process. Mm-hmm. So with all our different products, obviously we are we are trying to be agile. We're trying to respond to the market and change, not plan too far ahead, and then respond to what happens. But we do have a yearly process where we say, where do we want to invest? Mm-hmm. We can spend this much on teams. We can have this many people. Do we want to invest in this product or that product or this? And and changes do happen. We we, we double down on some products. We spend a bit less on others, and we need to create a new product. So yes. it is. There's an obvious change point. There's an obvious reflection point for us in our annual calendar. Mm-hmm. So doing it then makes sense. Mm. Um, there is obviously an overhead to reteaming like this. I think um, I said it wasn't a, a, a two-hour meeting where you drop in and then by the end of it you've done teams. <laughs> it's um, we we prepare these charters on the back of product strategy. We get our leaders in place, and then we have that prolonged uh interaction where we show everyone what what is on offer and then we get their preferences and then we put them into place overall this year it took us 15 working days 15 working days from uh here are the charters to you're in your new team go Mm -hmm. um it wasn't we weren't doing the work during that 15 days but clearly people's heads were thinking about what could i do next And, and it's a bit of a distraction so if you're going to do something like this it feels like quarterly would probably be a bit too often there'd be a bit too much overhead mm-hmm. i could sort of see it six months if there was yeah. a reason yeah um if there was yeah. like that driver that change in strategy that means well, actually now it's a reflection point we should do that again you know a big project has stopped a big one starting and, and actually there's some opportunities here i can sort of see it's doing that mm-hmm. um but for us it's working annually um quite nicely and actually we've had some people say I wouldn't want it any more often maybe but, every two years like you're asking quite a lot it's like yeah. asking once a year it's not that often but I think there's a there's there's um a comfort people have with change and a year for us seems to be a sweet spot right now. Nice. Well, this is really awesome. Thank you for um spending some time here and uh, explaining some of the you know the the ideas behind dynamic reteaming here at Red Gate. This is uh awesome. Thank you so much for for sharing those. And uh I just want to refer all the listeners also to your 
I call it the blog, the leadingagileteams.com, where you, uh, uh, you know, somehow I share your experiences from these events and uh, experiences also throughout the year. Um, so that, that's a great source for uh, information. There's also some uh, videos people can watch about uh, you in action. So all cool stuff. Well, thank you, Chris, for that. And I'm on the show page. I'm going to make all those links available for all the listeners. So thank you for your time. No worries. Thank you very much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Agile FM, the radio for the Agile community. I'm your host, Show Krebs. If you're interested in more programming and additional podcasts, please go to www.agile.fm. Talk to you soon.